Now we continue this morning our, our series of sermons on the seven churches of Asia in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, and particularly this morning, Revelation 2, 18 to 29, the passage that's printed on your service sheet. Visitors to Ireland often contrast Dublin with its stately Georgian architecture and all the atmosphere of a capital city with Belfast, a big industrial city that sprawls rather untidily from one part to the other. Actually, I think Belfast has a lot to be said for it. And nowadays, a great deal has been done to redress the balance and to make Belfast a really fine city for the 21st century. But the city of Thyatira was more like Belfast than Dublin, more like Glasgow than Edinburgh, more like Birmingham than London. It was not specially noted for its beauty or its culture or its temples. It was just a busy city, a center of commerce and industry, the woolen industry, the linen industry, the clothing industry. And very specially, Thyatira was noted for its purple dye and its purple garments. You may remember the name of Lydia in the Acts of the Apostles. Lydia, who was a trader in purple dye and purple cloth. And you may recall that she came from Thyatira. There were other industries as well as the textile trade. There was pottery, and there was the manufacture of leather goods. It's an interesting fact that the church always seems to face its biggest challenges in industrial situations. Granted that the kind of society that emerged in Britain in the wake of the Industrial Revolution of the 19th century is a different ball game altogether from the industrial life of first century Thyatira. Nonetheless, it is still important for us to hear what Christ had to say to the church in this industrial city. You will notice, first of all, that the letter begins with praise. That's often the way in these seven letters. And that in itself is a lesson you and I ought to note and learn. Sometimes we Christians are very good at criticism. We lay down the law for other people. We want them to do the things that we believe are best and to do things in the way that we like and think are the most effective. All too often, we're not nearly so good at saying a word of thanks or a word of praise or a word of encouragement. Now, don't get me wrong. The last thing we need 
is for folk going around patronising one another with a lot of oily flattery. That's just plain insincere, and people will see through it very quickly. But here's the important thing. We do need, we do need to show genuine appreciation of what other people do, especially when they're doing it well. Jesus knew the tough and difficult situations his people so often had to face, and he knew the value of a word of appreciation and praise. Let's just pause for a moment this morning and learn that lesson. People do need to be thanked and praised and encouraged. We all do. And the person who looks at others through the eyes of the Lord Jesus will look first for things to praise. Notice verse 19. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like a blazing fire. The Christians at Thyatira were praised for love, for faith, for service of others, for perseverance. Verse 19, I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance. But the next bit is very important. They were praised most of all because they weren't standing still. Listen and that you are now doing more than you did at the first. These folk were making real progress in their Christian discipleship. Back in the first sermon of the series, the church at Ephesus was seen as a backsliding church that had left its first love. But here we discover that the church at Thyatira was a church on the move. Its members were growing and progressing in Christian character and Christian usefulness. As God looks at your life and my life, can he say of us, they're making real progress in their experience of me. So the letter began with praise. But secondly, it moves on to warning. In the industrial society with which we are familiar today, everyone takes for granted the place of the trade union. Many of the founders of the trade union movement were earnest Christian men and women fully involved in the life of their churches. They saw how workers were often being treated unjustly how they were being exploited to line the pockets of unscrupulous industrialists. And they set themselves to fight for what was right and fair and just. That, in essence, is the trade union movement as we know it. 
In the ancient world, however, there were trade unions of a rather different kind. Each trade, each craft, had its own special guild, and each guild had its own guardian god. If you wanted to get on, you needed to join the guild, and you needed to attend the guild festivals at the temple of the patron god. You needed to eat food that had been sacrificed to the idol. And as we've seen before in these letters, when the feasting ended, drunkenness and immorality took over. No Christian could feel very happy in such an atmosphere. And yet this was the choice. Join the guild and do well and get on or stand aside and stand firm for Jesus, and you'll probably be pretty poor. Look at verse 20. I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. In the church at Thyatira, there was a woman who tried to encourage Christians to get involved in all the paganism and worldliness of local town life. Just as Jezebel in the Old Testament had led Israel away from the worship of Jehovah to the worship of Baal, with all the indecency and rottenness that involved. So too, and Moffat translates it like this, so too this Jezebel of a woman. That puts it in context. This Jezebel of a woman sought to lead the Christians at Thyatira. No wonder she was displeasing to the church's Lord. And this woman was all the more dangerous because she was a church member. She was a professing Christian. She claimed to have a certain authority. Don't you know, she said, I'm a prophetess. I know. They don't. I know. God has given me deeper knowledge. He's given it directly to me personally. What I'm saying is a special insight that the Lord has whispered in my ear. Alas, some of Christ's servants were fooled by her folly, and they followed her teaching. It all seemed so attractive, meeting one's friends, climbing the social ladder, getting in with the right people, increasing the profits of your business. But alas, compromise with what is wrong always leads to misery and confusion and regret. Now, all this speaks a word of warning to us. It warns us first against false sects and false teachers. 
We need to be particularly wary of people who set Scripture aside and claim that they have some special knowledge of their own. They know the better way. Not so. The truth set forth in Scripture is clear and plain for us to understand. It is the truth to which the church has held fast down the generations, and we need to hold fast to it too. And then secondly, we are warned to turn against turning aside from what Jesus called the narrow way. You and I live in a very permissive age when just about anything goes. And there are those who will say to Christians, even some other Christians, get a life. Of course you can be a Christian and do this and do that and do the other thing. Jesus wants you to enjoy life to the full, so get in there and do it. Now, Jesus does want us to enjoy life to the full, but the way of true enjoyment is not to kick over the traces and flout the law of God. True happiness is found when God's law becomes our delight. To live God's way is the way of freedom and joy. Back again to those words in verse 18. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire. The eyes of Christ penetrate the so-called deep teaching of this woman and expose its subtle dangers. Notice the patience of Christ. Verse 21, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. But the time is coming when God will act. Verses 22 and 23, I will cast her on a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Jesus says, judgment awaits those who dabble in evil, and especially those who lead God's people astray. May God help us to hold fast to Christ and to his commands. And so finally, this little letter that begins with praise and moves on with warning concludes with a promise. Christ's last word to the church at Thyatira is a word of guidance and promise. Verse 24 and 25. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's 
so-called deep secrets. I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. Perhaps in view of the moral laxity all around them, one might have expected Jesus to set out a new code of rules, somewhat stricter than anything he had said before. But no, Jesus doesn't want to burden his servants with narrow rules and restrictive regulations. The Christian way is a narrow way, but not a narrow-minded way. And so Christ's word to us is not a negative word. It is a positive word. Keep on the way you're doing, he says. Keep on progressing in love and faith and service to others. Stick at it with courage. And then comes the promise, verse 28. I will also give him the morning star. There's another one of those difficult sentences out of the book of Revelation. What on earth does that mean? I will give him the morning star. In Revelation 22 and 16, Jesus says, I am the bright and morning star. In other words, Christ promises his faithful servants to give them himself so that we will get to know him better and better and experience ever more fully his presence with us and his power within our lives. Verses 26 and 27. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. Christ's servants in Thyatira were downtrodden, oppressed, and persecuted for the sake of the gospel. But one day, one day, says Jesus, I will bring in my final triumph over every evil thing. And in the victory and glory and eternal joy of my triumph, you and all my faithful servants will share. So this, then, is the word of the risen and ascended Christ to his faithful people in the busy working city of Thyatira. And it is still his word for us today in all the busyness and complexity of life in this city of ours. Christ says to us, there are dangers on every hand. There are pleasures that corrupt. There are people who deceive. There are pressures that threaten to engulf us. But Jesus knows all about it. His eyes see it all. 
and in the midst of it all, he wants us to stand fast, but not to stand still. You are doing more now than you did at the first. What a word of encouragement and praise. Keep on being like that. Keep on pressing on with Jesus, for he wants you to grow for him.